Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. We've called this series, This Is Us. Not This Is Me. This Is Us. Have you ever noticed that people look after things as much as they value things? Have you ever noticed that? I could tell by looking at your car whether you have any value or appreciation for your car by the way you look after it. Some of you are going, oh, no. <laughs> I've said to some people, and I probably shouldn't have said it, hey, can, uh, can you give me a lift? Yeah, no problem. Excuse all the junk in the passenger side. And it's like you got to take it all, like get a shovel or a bulldozer, or front end loader, and throw it all in the back seat. You know, there's cans of drink, and there's wrappers for McDonald's, and there's shoes, and all that kind of stuff. The car's never been washed. Like, you don't really value that or appreciate that. Uh, I've got two bikes. One of them I value a lot. I don't ride it that much, but um, I do value it. I look after it. The other one, if I showed you a picture of it, you'd say, I would not ride that bike. It's not safe. It sits outside. The sun's eating it up. The rust, the corrosion, the front brakes don't work. The seat, the, the uh, gel from the seat is seeped through the, the, the seat, so I put blast plastic bags on that, lest it get into my shorts when I'm riding. And uh, I, I don't value that bike at all. I don't even look after it. It just gets me to the, the gym or whatever. I just leave it out. I don't chain it because I'm begging for somebody to steal it. <laughs> but they all look at it. You know, they stole the other bikes there at the at the bike rack at the gym, but they look at my bike and nobody steals it. They look at it and go, no, thank you. <laughs> we'll give that one a big miss. But I'm not looking after it because uh, I don't value it. And it's true with so many things. Relationships, if you value your spouse, you're married here, if God blesses you with that, then, then you look after that person. You tend to your gardens. You, you, you tend to life that way. And it goes on with children. If you love children and God's blessed you with children, then look after your kids. Bless them. Tend to that. Whatever we value, we look after that. So what does God value? That's a big question, isn't it? I think most of us would know the answer to that. And we're going to delve into that this morning as we continue on our vision, This Is Us. But value is, a, is an incredible word. And, and to ask that question, God, what do you value? What is it that, that you look after? What is it that you want us to look after? Because our values need to line up with his values. And the answer unequivocally is people, of course. God loves people. God is intensely, madly in love with every single one of us that's here regardless of our track record. And that collective of people that that would call upon him collectively, he says, that's my bride. She's beautiful. We don't look beautiful. We behave, including the pastor, ugly sometimes. Somebody says, amen. Uh, We're anything but a bride sometimes. We look like a bride maybe on her way to get a divorce or something, but, you know, we're not not beautiful. We don't behave becomingly. And so we think based on that, maybe God's love and affection isn't towards us. No, it doesn't change. 
God, God doesn't shift. We shift. God doesn't shift based on behavior. We shift based on behavior. We look at how much pleasure are they giving me? If the pleasure meter is high, then the value is high. I'm going to get something out of this deal. Well, if God did that, we'd all be off the map. We, you know, God <laughs> would just be, he would have left earth a long time ago. How many people agree with that? But what does God value? The Bible says this. It says, the kingdom of God is like a man that went. And he uh, saw this. He went hunting for a treasure, and he, and he, and he sees the treasure in a, in a field. So he buys the whole field just to get that treasure. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son. It says he sold everything to buy that whole field just to get that treasure that's in the field. And that treasure happens to be us. Not just me and not just you and not the person next to you only. Not the good people. It's us. That's why I've called this series, This Is Us. Because the answer to what God values most and what God uh, uh, loves the most, the affection that God has is toward us. Corporately called his church, of course, called his body. So I want to look at a, a, a couple of scriptures, if you want to go with me over to Ephesians chapter 5. As we're looking at the vision of our church, City Church, I want to establish a, a few principles. Because whenever God trusts you with something, he expects you to look after it. And of course, if we know what God values that he's trusted us with, then of course, we need to look after it. And that's with everything in, in life. In, uh, in Ephesians, in chapter 5, in verse 25, this one's used at weddings. I've used it at weddings. In fact, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go to the end of it so we can establish what is he talking about. And we'll go to verse 32 if you want to throw that up, and then I'll, I'll go back to the beginning of it. But um, everything he's talking about here in this passage it looks like it's a, he's giving a marriage advice. And, and he's talking about, you know, a husband and, and wife and everything. But look what it says in verse 32. This is a profound mystery. And I would say, amen, it still is. Most people find it a mystery and they haven't really unraveled that. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and his church. Everything he says prior to this, it does have an application between husbands and wives. It does have an application in marriage. But primarily, what he's talking about in all of this passage is Christ and his church. Christ and that which he loves more than anything else. So now we go back to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her, the church, by the washing with water through the word and to present her, the church, to himself, a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy 
and blameless. Holy is set apart. God, God sets us apart so that we, we're, we're not to be tainted by this world and everything that the flesh has to offer. Radiant, I love that. A radiant, beautiful bride. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, verse 29, nobody, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, lest we forget. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and his church. If I ask somebody what they think about the church, most people will come up with all kinds of things. Very, very few, however, have worked out what the church is enough to talk about the church as this scripture talks about the church. And because we're looking during this series about the vision for our church, City Church, if we don't see the church the way he sees the church, then we will not value the church because vision brings value. When you, when you have a vision for marriage, for instance, you value marriage. When you have, have a vision for your children, raising children in the way that they should go, that, then, then you value that. But if you don't value it, it's probably because you don't have a vision, because you don't see it or you don't see it correctly. And the starting point for This Is Us and, and, and the vision of City Church, it, it really is get a clear vision of what church is. So I hear people, and, and, and it's rightly so, but it really, if you think about it enough, and I think about it a lot, it doesn't make sense. Well, the church, the church isn't a building. And I think, yeah, that's true. But imagine if you went to the zoo and you said, oh, the, the, the zoo isn't a building, you know. They go, well, of course, like everybody gets that. Why would you say such a stupid thing? It's the animals. We come to see the animals. <laughs> and they're housed in cages, unfortunately, most of them. And, and uh, you know, there's buildings. But of course we wouldn't say the, the zoo's not a building, you know. Well, well when you... When you are about to pay your admission to get into the zoo, are you going to protest because the ticket's going to go towards the facilities to look after the animals and go, no, I'm going to pay that because the zoo's not a building. The zoo's animals. Well, the church isn't a building. It goes without saying. People are the church. Do we really need to do the whole church isn't about a building? Do we need to do that, really? Not if we have a revelation that the church is us, all of us. And all of us collectively is his bride. And he values us. Therefore, what he values, he's responsible for. What we value, we're responsible for. In fact, authority flows out of responsibility. 
A lot of people have no authority because they're not responsible for anything when it comes to looking after the bride. That's a big mouthful, but it's the truth. If you want authority as a believer, look after what God values. Value what God values. You've got his attention. 100%. He is focused on, uh, uh, he will give authority beyond what you could ever imagine if you value and you look after and you take up responsibility for what it is that he values and what he's trusted you with. I want to see so much authority through God's church in the community, but we have to take responsibility for this. We have to quit talking stupid talk. Oh, church, you you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Again, what a dumb thing. (laughs) That's just like, why would you say such a thing? Well, the answer is because you don't have a revelation. You haven't seen what God sees and God's trying to show you. This collective called This Is Us, the church is his bride. We read it. It's his body. He loves all of us intensely. Therefore, he puts so much value on that that he sent his son to the cross to purchase the whole field so that he could get that treasure called This Is Us. Now, it's up to us to put value on the community called the church, the body of Christ, to put value on that and to take responsibility because if we value something, we are responsible to look after that. In other words, we quit not looking after it. We stop neglecting it. Now, I don't know, I might have said this before, I'm not really sure, but it bears repeating that nowadays it seems like church has become an event. It's a stage presentation. So, you know, the guy with the microphone, which happens to be me right now, he's just part of the entertainment of the event. And the music, they went off and they were part of the, the event. How good they were is, is, is going to help me decide whether I want to go there or not. <laughs> you know, because, because the church is an event. Well, is your body an event? Because the church is the body of Christ. Is your bride, men? you're married? Is she an event? Like when she shows up, if she shows up dressed properly, cooks me the right meal and, and delivers all of my expectations, then, you know, I'll probably, I'll, I'll be there. No, the fact is the church is not an event. Coming together like this, it's just what family does. It's part of what we do because we value one another. Coming together like this is is meeting with our Father, our Heavenly Father. He's the one that makes us a family. He's the one that values us. It's esteeming value. Of course we come together. But we don't come together just to sit there looking at some people performing on a platform and call that church and then say stupid things like you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, you don't have to go and watch animals, I guess, either. If You know, call it a zoo. It's not. So God uses metaphors. I like metaphors. I love the fact that he's pretty clear through his metaphors how much he values all of us together as family and and, and as friends and how little time really he has for just Lone Ranger people out there that don't want to 
uh, get along with the rest of the family and risk getting offended and all, you know, all that stuff just goes hand in hand with it. And, and if you're in a family, you get offended, but you don't walk out of the family, not if, not if you value the family. My, you know, we've only got one son, but, you know, I've offended him before and he's offended me, but he's not walking out. He doesn't go, oh, that's it, I'm through. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, you'll be back and I'll be back. Because we're the Terminator. Never mind. <laughs> Could resist that one. We're members of his body. So vision causes value. We value what God values. We show our value to God by valuing his church. See, it's really easy to, to, to say, oh, I just love God so much. Oh, yeah, God's everything to me. Okay, I hope so. But what are you doing with the rest of the people that God says that he values? The collective called the church. This is us. Oh, no, no, I don't, no. <laughs> no forget about them. <laughs> it's just me and him. Well, you've got a lot of scripture to choke on with that philosophy. This isn't something you're just going to walk up and leave. This is something you are a part of. If you're saved, you're a part of his body. If you're not a part of his body, well, I don't know. What are you then? There's no appendages out there floating around. Cut your hand off. How long is the hand going to live? Not very long. It'll start to stink after a while, which is exactly what happens to people that aren't attached to the church or part of the church. Their attitude starts to stink. They become the lone ranger. They just want to be out there. I'll just go for long walks by myself under the stars and talk to the big guy up there all by myself, but I'm not going to be part of anything, you know, that's organized. The church is the building. I have to go to church. Blah, 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 blah. Revelation 19, 7 and 8, listen to this. We need to see her as God sees her. Beautiful. The church is beautiful. Oh, she doesn't look like it. She's beautiful. Why? Because God says she is. That's why. And God calls things which be not as though they were. Hallelujah. Revelation 19, verse 7 and 8. Let us rejoice. Let us rejoice. Us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her to wear. One of the greatest things that I get to do as a pastor over the years. And some of you sitting here, I, I, I had the honor uh, of doing your wedding. And it, and it is an honor. It's work, a lot of paperwork and other stuff and going through things with the couple. But comes the wedding day. And I'm standing there and I'm, I'm dressed, you know. I dress up for weddings. And, uh, and I'm looking Usually the groom is next to me and his entourage. And then the, the bride's late because she's supposed to be late. Never early, always late. And the car pulls up and out comes a whole entourage of beautifully dressed women, flower boys and girls, and the dad, the proud dad, or whoever's going to walk her down the aisle. And as she's approaching, and finally, you know, her turn and she's approaching, I find it really hard to hold it together. I'll just be honest with you. 
I look at somebody that just looks way more amazing than they are. That's the bride. And I get, this is where I pinch myself, because I get the best view in the house. I, I, get, I get to be right there with the groom and, and the bride. I get to see the tears. I, I get to smell the flowers. I, I, I get that, that view as two people look into their eyes of each other and, and, and share their vows together. It moves me to the point usually of choking back tears because I've still got to say some things. It's like, Oh my gosh, look at this. They're there. This is amazing. And I get to feel the heartbeat of God every time. God, this is what you want. This is your church. What have we made it, God? I'm so sorry for what people have made it. Because your heartbeat, God, this is your bride. Oh, and she's beautiful every time. I've never done a wedding yet where the bride wasn't absolutely beautiful. Whether it's on a beach, doesn't matter, or a church, or a cathedral, or a park, she's always beautiful. And you wouldn't dare say anything else. Nobody would walk up to the groom and the bride on their wedding day, walk up and say, what an ugly wife, what an ugly bride you got. Man, like, well, you sure you don't have, you don't have very good taste, do you? And yet, Christians, people that say they follow God and he's everything to them and they sing the songs and all the rest of it, they say that virtually every day about the bride. And don't even blink twice about it. And I think, it hurts me how much it must hurt the father of the bride. How much it must hurt the groom because he's all the same God, three in one. How much power is not released because we're not responsible for that piece of flesh in our mouth that sets the world on fire called the tongue. We let stuff out because we don't have anything in called a revelation. And in the book of Revelation, that letter, he's prepared a wedding feast. And she's beautiful. And she's adorned like a bride coming to her groom. And she's got fine linen. And it's beautiful and white and dazzling. And that's us, not one of us, all of us. God help us. God help us to get a revelation of his church. To get a revelation of this part of God's church called City Church. To get a vision of the bride, the body of Christ that burns in our soul so that we don't tolerate even the thought of anything different than she's beautiful. I know we have to call that one by faith sometimes because there is ugliness going on, but that doesn't mean that she's not beautiful. This is us. But us doesn't always look like her. And that's our responsibility because authority comes from responsibility. 
You have to access your authority as the church collectively by taking responsibility. We can't say, am I my brother's keeper? The answer, yeah, you are your brother's keeper. When God went looking, when Cain slew Abel, you know, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah. Yeah, you are. We are responsible to look after the bride and to make her beautiful. We are responsible, and authority only responds to that responsibility. So the area that you have responsibility is the area that you will have authority. Back in the beginning, Psalm 8, 4 to 6 says this, What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little lower than the spiritual beings or the angels, it says, in, in the heavenly beings. You've crowned him with glory and honor. Verse 6, you have made him ruler over the works of your hands to put everything under his feet. Psalm 115, verse 16, the highest heavens belong to the Lord. The earth he has given to man. Then man sinned. He was commissioned by God to subdue the earth, to replenish it. God gave us authority in the earth. Adam sinned. He handed that over to the devil. 1 John 5 says this, verse 19. We know that we are children of God, that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Have you ever noticed? You turn on the television, look at the news, see all the stuff that's going on, because he, he is the God of this world. But the responsibility rests on us because Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. God has, has released that authority with his body, with his bride, with you and I in the earth because we are believers. He gives us the responsibility and the corresponding authority. Even though Satan is the God of this world, we're not of this world. We've got authority. But it only is released through responsibility. Nine, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's why our vision is to grace the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely, I'm with you to the very end of the age. So really quick, I want to give you four responsibilities of uh, being a friend of God, four responsibilities that come with grace the nations or the grace that God has given us. Number one, we're going to fly through this, but we're responsible to love people. <laughs> and that's where the church usually breaks down. I'll love them if I like them. But if I don't like them, I'm not going to love them. Therefore, I'm not going to be part of whatever it is that they're up to down there because it's just me and God. No. God has called us to love people, full stop. That means people that look different than you, that are of a different, different ethnicity than you. So I'm not going to pick on anybody in particular because it's all of us need to love whoever's not like all of us. So look, look in the mirror and just say, do I just love the people that look like me 
Or do I love everybody because they're all part of the body of Christ and God loves them all? That means God loves poor people. And you know what? God loves rich people. Oh, no, I'm jealous. Stop it. (laughs) Who's going to reach people? And maybe some of them are rich because they've applied the principles out of God's word and prospered through it. Maybe you've been a bit lazy and haven't. I don't know. Just saying, just throwing that out there. But God loves people. He loves poor people, rich people, Asian people, Caucasian people, African-American people, African people, Solomon Island people, Fijians, and everybody else that's represented here that I didn't name. God loves every single person. And God's hand wants to grace the nations. He wants to enable all of us to do what none of us individually can do. That's the vision of City Church. I can remember uh, when I went to college, I I lived part of my life in a place called Melvindale, which was next to the Ford factory. It was blue collar, but it was still all whites, some Italians and Polish people in Detroit a lot of Polish people, but they all kind of looked like me. And, and then dad would get remarried. We'd go to a place called Gros Seal, which is downriver from Detroit, and, and it was uh, settled by the French. That's what big, big islands, what it means. And, and it was all white. They all looked like me. And then I went to college, and I got a dorm room. I had to have a roommate. And I really, it never really... I mean, I met some people that, that, that weren't white, but I hadn't really, you know, got to know anybody. I hadn't spent any time with anybody like that. And, and I'm in the room, and I'm thinking, oh, I wonder who my roommate is. And, uh, you know, we're, we're there. We're all supposed to meet, and the dormitory was huge. And then walks Clifford Nunley III, African-American. I'm like, I've never met anybody that looked like you and talked like you. And, huh. and here's a principle. We fear who we don't know. Some of us fear people that don't look like us because we've never taken the time to know them. We don't trust who we don't know. Cliff, Cliff and I became like best buddies. Like, amazing. And I thought, all the racial stereotypes and the paradigm I had and everything else people had said in the white community and everything else just went right down the... You know, I've learned that over and over and over again. I went to Fiji. I was afraid of Fijians. Why? Because I didn't know nothing about Fijians. Nicest people. Friendliest people on earth. We've got some of them here. And like, wow. Then I went to Pakistan. Same deal. Met beautiful people in the Christian community. Accepted. Lived in their house. Ate the food. Laughed. Had a great time. Dale and I had Arabs come and live with us from Saudi America. It was the same deal. Picked them up. I'm thinking Saudi Arabia, sorry. I, I, I picked up <laughs> Saudi America. Oh, yeah. Better, better go. <laughs> Pick them up for the first time. You know, Abdullah, Muhammad. Thinking about, oh, terrorism. Nicest guys. 
family, friends, hugs, goodbye, tears. I got to know people that were different than me. And what happened? I changed. My heart melted. I learned. We don't trust people because we don't know people. We don't love people who we don't know. We got to get to know people. And God's responsibility is that we would love people, people that we don't know, people that aren't look, they don't look like us. And, and, and to do that, we have to go to a place called the cross. You know, Jesus went to the cross, but he's called us to pick up our cross too, which means something, if you're not loving people that are different from you, you've got to die because something in you is alive, resisting that, and, and God has called this church, this is us. We have to die to the fear of men because the fear of man is a snare. There is no fear, 1 John 4.18. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. We're afraid. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Our vision is the nations. Our vision is to love everybody that God brings or everybody that God sends us to. They are all God's children. God loves every one of them. So when you become a lover of people, you find there's no danger in my heart towards people that I love. Number two, we are responsible to lead. Responsible to imitate Christ and then lead by example. We're not to be like the world. We are to lead, which means we are to be champions of reconciliation. I don't look for a political party to solve the racist, racial stuff that's going on. God's not looking for the political party to solve the racial stuff. God's looking for his church to start to love so that they can lead by example and walk across rooms and reconcile people and, and, and bring the peace of God into the earth. That's his body's job. And none of us are going to do that as individuals floating around by ourselves taking a stroll with our own kind, that's not going to happen. So we're responsible to, to, to lead, which means we are initiators of friendships. We are there to heal racial tensions. We are there to be lovers. Lovers are leaders. Leaders are lovers. Number three, we are responsible to light the way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land with this one, but Matthew chapter uh, 5, I want to read this. I'd like the team to come back up. We're about to close. Verse 13, out of the Message Bible. Listen to this. Let me tell you why you are here, city church. You are here to be salt, seasoned, seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. You are, you, if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste goodness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. Verse 14. You are here to be light. We're here to love people. We're here to lead. And we are here to light it up because we live in a dark world. You are, you are here to light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As public as a city, city church, on a hill in the middle of our city. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. 
Now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Woo! Be generous with your lives. Be open up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God. This generous Father in heaven. So what do I see? I see a city on a hill. I see a city that loves people. I see a city that leads. A city church that leads in relationships and reconciliation. I see a stimulating city a church of people that are in unity. And then the fourth thing, and we're closing with this well and truly, these all begin with L so that I can remember them as I preach it and you can remember it as you're taking notes or walk away. First one, love. Come on. Second one, lead. Third one, light it up. The fourth one, I haven't given it to you yet. <laughs> The fourth one is to look. Look. What are you looking at? What are you looking at in the church? All the problems? All the people that don't measure up? You do, of course. You're perfect. <laughs> they, they got problems. I wish they would do this. And if only they would, and they're supposed to, and they should do, and all the rest of it. And God says, look in the mirror. But you are not called to look at problems. You are called to look at possibilities. That's what vision does. Vision sees things. Vision sees past the problem. Vision sees through the problem to the possibility to solve the problem. We are responsible to look. And that's what vision is about. The vision of our church is not to see problems surrounding us. We're down for the count. Oh my, this world's so bad. Jesus must be about to come back because the world's so bad. The world's always been bad. God's called us to look with vision and faith and to do something about it. God's called us to look at each other, not looking at our faults and our problems. God's called us to look by faith at each other and go, you are going to make a strong Christian. I'm going to disciple you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to love you, whoever you are, whatever God, whatever this world's dealt you, uh, whatever blow it is. I am here to lead by example. Follow me as I follow Christ. Amen. That's the vision of this church. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.